It's 1208. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, you have the, I, I have my annual September cold. You have your September cold. I'm fighting something, can you tell? Well, oh, uh, I, you know, it, I, every, every year about this time, I, I get it. It's not mm. bad. I started feeling bad on Thursday and felt pretty, my, my wife has it too. I think she gave it to me. So I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to blame Fran for this, but All it's, right. It, it's. I, I think I'm. I'm going to say I'm on the kind of getting better side, but I'm just kind of like right down there with the cold. But we will muddle through. Yeah, Jordan, Steve, producer, he's got a cold too, so we are spreading around. How about you, Gru? Gru, no. Yours was last week. Maybe you gave it to the rest of us here. All right, we will. We will endeavor to persevere, though. Hey, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on the program. Uh, Olivia Munn, remember her? Aaron Rodgers' former girlfriend, who, um, it just. It was one of those things where I, I was always I always remember Olivia Munn going on TV and she's of course she's an, an actress and she's a very attractive actress and she's talking about how she and Aaron well like to have sex and they like to have a lot of sex and I'm just picturing Aaron Rodgers' mother watching this interview and I was just kind of picturing my mother and I, I think Aaron Rodgers' mother and my mother would probably react in about the same way. Anyways, Olivia Munn, she is back in the news. She's got a new movie coming out called Predator. And she is very, very upset with her cast members and the director. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. Actually, the first hour of the program, though, is devoted to sort of world of sports stories. Serena Williams, who arguably is the greatest female tennis player ever, has a complete and total meltdown at the U.S. Open. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Some people are seeing what happened to her as an example of racism and sexism and I don't know. I I just saw an egotistical, out-of-control, self-entitled bad sport. But we will discuss. In addition, not the most significant issue of the day, but I thought it was interesting. Last night, you had Sunday night football, and we were all tuned in. Hopefully, you did what I ended up doing once the game started, which is turning down the sound on the television set and listening to the radio. And Wayne and Larry's call was just absolutely great. But before that, they have the new Sunday night football theme. They keep changing the theme, and last night... Carrie Underwood came out with the 2018 version of this. If you want to hear the theme, you can text me the word theme, T-H-E-M-E, to 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm going to, a little bit later on, I'm going to play that, and then we're going to go back a couple years and play what it used to be, and we're we're going to discuss whether it's been an improvement or not. But if you want to get a head start on it, and you also want to see the video that accompanies it, Text me the word theme, T-H-E-M-E, to 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're also going to be talking about some of the big issues of the day, including the 25th Amendment and whether that applies and Milwaukee County trying to get dough back from people who are overpaid. All that stuff is coming up on the show. But let us start where everybody is starting today, and that is the Packers game yesterday. By the way, as we do every day, we are live streaming this segment of the program on Facebook Live. So you can go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can, in fact, participate. You can see what I'm actually wearing some of my Packers gear today in recognition of what was just an absolutely amazing game. All right. Now, I, I will give you my impression of the game, and, and then we're going to spend at least one segment discussing this. The first half was one of these halves where I probably, like all Packers Nation, just had my my head in my hands going, oh, my gosh, how could this be happening? The Packers were completely and totally manhandled 
on both sides of the ball. The guy that was playing right guard, McCray or whatever, I mean, he, he kind of looked like I would look if you put me out there at guard. Namely, he was getting run over. Aaron Rodgers gets hit. He goes down. It looked like he sprained his knee or something. I'm no doctor, but... You know, you, you have this injury, and of course, you always are afraid for the worst. Has he torn, torn his ACL or something? We, we don't know the extent of the injury, although they say it's not a torn ACL. But you have Aaron Rodgers, who didn't look that great before he goes out. He goes out. You have the backup quarterback come in, and while I was one of these people who was in favor of dumping Brent Hundley because we knew he was awful, the, the backup quarterback um, showed absolutely nothing. In any event, the Bears completely and totally dominate the game. They're ahead, what, 17 to nothing at halftime. It looks like this is just going to be an epic blowout. And more importantly, it looks like this is going to be a bad reflection on the season. Well, all right, after halftime, Aaron Rodgers comes back. Everybody knows the story. It is an absolutely amazing game. The Packers come back from being down actually 20 to nothing. They end up winning 24 to 23, a series of great plays. Aaron Rodgers showing why he's one of not only the best quarterbacks in the business today, but maybe one of the best quarterbacks ever. Packers win the game. All's well that ends well. They've got the win over the Chicago Bears. And if you listen to sports radio broadcasts in Chicago today, you know you've got a lot of angry fans who are bridge jumpers. The defense holds up. The offensive line holds up in the second half. So the Packers get the win all is well in Packer Nation, or or is it? All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's how I want to start off the program today. It was, by all accounts, an historic comeback for the Packers. It left all Packers Nation going to bed last night feeling good about what ended up happening. It came back big time. They beat the Bears. They made big plays. The defense stepped up. Aaron Rodgers looks like he's going to be able to play. At least this was not a a season-ending injury. It doesn't appear to be. But at the same time, there was a lot of bad play that got them into the situation where you needed to have that epic comeback. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's an historic comeback, but do you think... Regardless of what happened last night, does that showing indicate that the Packers are in trouble this year? Or is this a just relax, they had to get the rust kicked off, that they came out a little bit flat, all's well that ends well, the season's going to be fine? Or was yesterday an indication that maybe there's some issues going on and maybe the team isn't really Super Bowl ready like a lot of us hope it is? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's delve into the world of sports because Packers Nation is, this is all everybody's talking about today. All right, your reaction to the game, obviously a great win. No question about it. But does that fact that they win, does this mask much deeper problems with the team? Are they not as good as maybe a lot of us hoped? 414-799-1620. Once again, we're up on Facebook Live, facebook.com slash 620WTMJ. We're back with your calls and texts in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1216, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, this is your chance to vent or to praise. Let's see, Facebook, we're, again, live streaming on Facebook Live. Here's a couple of comments there. Even if it was Russ, this team needs much more to beat or compete with the Vikings. That is a fact. Michael says, Matthews needs to go 
way overrated. That was a bonehead play. Fourth down, the incomplete pass, and he gives the Bears four more downs with a uh, roughing the passer call. That struck me as being a legitimate one. Um, let's see. Rich says it's only one game, but the defense is mediocre at best. We need a playmaker on the defense. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Brian in Brookfield. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Right. Thank you. Have a great Go, day. Okay. Well, I, just wanted, I just wanted to say, you know, I am a Packer fan before I started bashing them, but, you know, we've had the same offensive line for years, and last night, the only reason why in the second half that we actually did anything on offense is because we went to a hurry-up offense where they couldn't stop. Now, we can't do that, you know, a whole game. Secondly, our defense is horrific. We have no pass rush. You know, how many times did we have the quarterback locked up for a sack 10 yards back and he ran away? Right, nobody Matthews could get him. Yep. Overrate, Matthews is overrated. Our, our linebackers, we're in trouble. I mean, last night was the first half was going to be a microcosm of the whole season, I'm unfortunately to say. I mean, I want them to win, but, you know, McCarthy, they're not making very good, you know, picks and offense or defense for defense alignment, offense alignment. And if you don't protect the highest paid guy in the NFL, he's not, you know, how many seasons, like, well, <laughs> the last two or three seasons, he's missed the whole half of the season because he got hurt. Okay, what do you think? What do you think their record's going to be? I'm hoping it's going to be fifty-fifty. Okay, so you know, eight, 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 eight. Okay, no, thanks for yeah. calling. I, I, I will say this: I, um, the, the one, the, the left side. I'm look. I'm not a football expert, but the left side of the line looked like it was holding up pretty well. Belaga was having problems, and the guy they had playing guard, McCray. He was not good. He he was he was going to get he was going to get Rogers killed in the first uh, first half. There, there's no question about that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right. How do you feel about the the team after a, a big win last night? But see, a lot of the Vegas odd maker as it didn't think it was going to be close. I mean, a lot of people thought that the Packers were going to win by one or two touchdowns, not get blown out in the first half, and have to stage a miracle comeback, which is a tribute to Aaron Rodgers. Dave and Appleton. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what the last guy was saying that that yeah, you know, offense is okay. I mean, that's what's going to win the games, but the defense is just my God, it's just the same. Yeah, it's the same as you know, Don Capers maybe wasn't the problem, yeah. but uh, I can't believe that the coach McCarthy didn't walk out onto the field and grab uh, uh, Pretty Boy by the face mask and drag him off after he. Yeah. that uh, penalty on the fourth down. I mean, yes, that was a legit penalty. That wasn't a ticky tack. That was he hit him long after yeah. the ball was gone, and he should have gone out there and dragged him off the field by his ear and <laughs> sat him down and left him there. You know, it's it's funny on that play. My my wife was watching the game with me, and she turns to me and said, "Was that?" Said, "Okay." She said, what, "What do you think? Was that a legitimate penalty?" And I said, "Yeah, I think I think that was a legitimate penalty. I mean, you you just can't." You can't hit the, those quarterbacks that late, and he clearly had thrown the ball. And Matthews, what was he even thinking of to hit the guy under those circumstances? Yeah, I mean, it was just no. my God. No, thank, just but but thanks. Okay, but but at the same time, it it was it was just the first game, and Aaron Rodgers, notwithstanding, I mean, they, they came out of it. I don't think there was any major injuries besides the Aaron Rodgers thing, and it looks like he's going to be able to play through that. Hopefully, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Mary in Brookfield. Mary in Marshfield. Mary, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for taking Hi, my Mary. call. Your, your comments, Jeff, are a good bridge into what I want to say. Um, you know, I, 
I don't disagree with a lot of the complaints that people have had, but this was the first game of the season. We haven't had the veterans playing a lot in the preseason. Uh, they definitely had a heck of a lot of rust to shake off. Um, the, the thing, um, you know, I'm most concerned about them being good in November and December. Right. I, I think they're going to hang in here. Um, I do depart from your comments, though, a little bit related to Kaiser coming in. You know, when he came in, he started moving the team. What they did is the play calling changed. The play calling went more to the quick hitter, you know, over the middle. You know, he just, they went a little more up-tempo once he came in. And, yeah, he made some real boneheaded. Yeah, that, 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 he looked like me when he threw that interception. That's probably what I would do if I was being tackled like that. I just kind of, it looks like he just kind of threw the ball to, to get rid yeah. of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But I think, well, yeah, like overall it wasn't a good showing for him. There were some good things there, and I think it may have related more to the play calling than anything. Because when Rodgers came back, our play calling was a lot different. We were getting killed in the trenches right. in the first half. And what they went to was more of the, you know, over the over the middle. Right, the quick, the quick hitting guts. things, yep. Yeah, and also they quit trying to run up the guts. And they started going a little more to the outside and had more success with that. But, but of course, Mary, part of the reason they did that is because the right side of the line couldn't block. So, I mean, does that tell you that there's going to be a – you're right. They, they adapted, and I think they realized we, we can't block these guys. But is that the sign of a perhaps a larger problem down the line if, if your right guard is awful? Um, yeah, potentially. No. But, again, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button. Um, I think that part of being successful is being able to be strategic, right. being able to be adapt. So, in other words, you're channeling Aaron Rodgers and just telling everybody today to relax. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Fair enough. No, thank, thanks. And, and again, all's well that all's well that ends well. I mean, I I, I will tell you, and I, I freely acknowledge when I'm wrong in assessments. I, when I see Aaron Rodgers kind of limping back after halftime. And I hear they're putting him in the game, or especially, and then the Bears come down and, and score, so it's twenty to nothing, and they're getting ready to put him back in the game. I'm thinking, my God, they're going to get this guy killed. But as it turned out, that was absolutely the right decision to make. Mike calling us from south of the border in Chicago. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, how are you? Hi, Mike. You a Bears fan or a Packers fan? Uh, number one, I'm a Packers fan okay. my whole life, but I've always lived in Chicago, <laughs> and what I saw last night. Reminded me of the Bulls of Jordan days, where the Bulls would be getting beat the first half. Jackson would make the adjustments, change the game plan in the second half, come out and exploit how bad the other team really is. And I think that's what happened last night. The one thing your fans aren't realizing that the Bears only scored one offensive touchdown. The rest of the touchdowns were defensively. Right. Uh, once he made the changes, everything came together, and they looked great. I yeah, would, I, uh, the only, the only word, I'm sorry. No. The only worry I would have is we do need to go to our backup quarterback court. Same thing as the last couple of years, we're in trouble. Yeah, well, the, thanks. I mean, no, there, there's no question about that, too. I mean, it, if, if Aaron Rodgers loses any appreciable amount of time, the, the Packers are in, in trouble. I, I supported moving on from Brett Hundley because we saw last year that he couldn't get the job done. I'm not sure that. I, again, the jury is still out as to whether Kaiser can or not. And I agree. I mean, a lot of people were criticizing McCarthy. 
And and while I think it's perhaps fair to do that maybe in the first half, where the team came out like it wasn't ready to play, at the same time, they did change things up at halftime. And I think you did that from the defensive perspective as well. Although, again, this is just me as observer, it, it seemed like nobody could tackle. Again, it's just kind of like, think about how many times they had Bears players trapped behind the line of scrimmage and they couldn't bring the guys down. But at the same time, they made the plays when they had to. And all's well that ends well, I guess, is the bottom line of this. But it, to me, maybe a better indication is going to be Minnesota because this new, this is a new coach, new plays. Maybe the Bears took them by a little bit by surprise, but they're definitely going to have to up their game. And the truth of the matter is, if the Packers want to get where we all want them to get the, the Super Bowl, they're, they're they're going to have to be able to beat Minnesota. And the first test of that comes this coming Sunday, twelve noon. At Lambeau Field, you can hear the game here on WTMJ. All right, thanks for participating. We're going to shut down our Facebook Live segment. Lots more of the program coming up, including, well, I want to give you a chance to play Music Critics. That's coming up in just a couple minutes. Stick around. 1227, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Sunday Night Football uh, became a big thing on NBC back in 2006. And they, they used to have... Their original theme, first of all, it was sung by Pink, and then they got rid of Pink, and then they went to Faith Hill, and she did it for a number of years, and then they either got tired of Faith Hill or thought she aged out of the demo or whatever, and then they switched over to Carrie Underwood. But from 2006 until 2015, the theme for Sunday Night Football was, 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 they they made tweaks to it, but it was essentially kind of the same song. Here, here is the 2015 edition of the theme song to Sunday Night Football. Okay, and that's, of course, a takeoff on the old Joan Jett song, I Hate Myself for Loving You. But that was the theme song from 2006 to 2015. Then they, they decide, and got to give you a hint, I, we, we, we had chair dancing going on here. I mean, okay, we're just rocking out to that song. 
So after the 2015 edition, and that was Carrie Underwood singing in 2015, NBC has decided to to play around, and, and they've changed the, the songs. And last night, they debuted a new Sunday night football song. Here, here is what it is. the idea now we can all be music critics but i mean all right that you you heard what they used to do and they did up through 2015 and now they've changed it and now there was something also in in the middle but now it's this game on so let, let us tee this up all right the old one or the new one i will tell you this the reaction to the new theme song in the twitterverse is not very positive but that doesn't mean that people sitting at home are necessarily right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I hear that, oh, I'll tell you this. I hear that older version. I, I used to look forward to that that segment, and it didn't matter, again, whether it was Faith Hill or Pink or whether it was Carrie Underwood singing it. I used to love that song and the visuals, and it was one where you kind of want to get up and dance and do all that type of stuff. This new one absolutely, totally, completely, 100% leaves me cold. Game on. But that's just me. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As NBC made a huge mistake in choosing, I don't know, this as to this being the theme song. And is this kind of like, gee, the people that thought New Coke was going to be a good idea. 414-799-1620. I miss the old theme song. I think it was worlds, 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 worlds better than what they have now. 1242, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. Which one did you prefer? We discuss next. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. For years and years, um, NBC is the opening to Monday Night Football. Used the theme song, Waiting All Day for Sunday Night. Then two years ago, they changed it to like a new Carrie Underwood type of song, and that lasted two years. And last night, they debuted their new one, Game On. I think they'd be much better going back to their roots, the original one, which I thought was eminently better. Donna says, um, I couldn't share dance to the new theme song. Didn't care for that at all. Let's talk to Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? The thing is, is that I thought it—I thought it was a good song. I thought it was a good opening. Uh, I, I, I was raised on Monday um, on Monday Night Football, uh, and so uh, 
Uh, I remember the Hank Williams uh, right. Jr. song, and so uh, this is more edgier, more rockier. But uh, I, I like I like the change. Sometimes you got to come into the you know new millennial and then and, and do something different. You just can't stick with the same thing. Two words, Vincent: New Coke, New Coke. <laughs> I'm just telling you. All right, no thanks. I, obviously, it's it's a little bit edgier. To, to me, it just it, it just doesn't have the hook that the the old song had. Uh, Chuck says, personally, I just want to watch the game, but like you, if I had to choose, it would be the Faith Hill version. Um, I actually really like the Hank Williams Jr. beginning. Yeah, and I, I think, I, now I could be wrong, but I think after years and years, they brought that back on Monday night. They Right, they have, because they, they, they dumped Hank Williams years ago because he was politically incorrect and then ultimately bowed to fan favor, fan you know pressure or whatever, and and now they brought back him. So yeah, so the Monday night version is, is this, but I I thought they really had something on Sunday night. I have to, I have to tell you, and I just I understand you're all sitting there waiting for the game to start, and I you know we just want to get through it. But I used to think that little music video was a great way to start the game, and again this would be one of mine where my advice would be if it's not broke. You do not need to fix it. All right, when we come back, one more story from the world of sports to round out the hour. Serena Williams, arguably the greatest women's tennis player of all time, has a complete and total meltdown, and some scream sexism and racism. We will discuss. Stick around. 1248, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1250, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October is on, and now your crew heads to Wrigley Field. Christian Yelich and the Brewers square off against the Chicago Cubs for game one of a three-game set. Our coverage starts at 6.30 this evening. Yeah, um, everybody's talking about the Packers, but you can't lose track of what the Brewers did. Sweeping the San Francisco Giants, winning five out of six games. They're, you know, when, when the Cubs left Milwaukee after winning one out of three games, the Brewers were four games behind the Cubs, and I think everybody pretty much figured, okay, well, the division race, they're not going to catch them. Cubs lost a couple games. The Brewers have gone on and won a bunch. And now the Brewers, going into Chicago, they are two games behind the Cubs. They are also two and a half games ahead of the Cardinals for the top wild card spot. But you know, you, you want to avoid that one-game wild card play-in if you possibly can. And Brewers have a three-game series coming up. If they can somehow... If they could somehow win two out of those three games, um, I, I think, you know, leave Chicago a game behind, I think that would be great. Tonight's going to be tough. They're pitching against, going against the Cubs' best pitcher, John Lester, who's like 15 and five or something like that. But, but regardless, th- this team is for real and lots of clutch hits and, uh, they've had a couple tough losses, but they've won eight out of their last ten. They're winning series after series, and um, it, it's just, it's fun to watch meaningful baseball, and the Brewers are certainly delivering. All right. I, I, maybe you don't pay much attention to, to women's tennis, but the U.S. Open finals in New York were over the weekend. And you had a real interesting battle. You had Serena Williams, who's in her 30s. She, she's making a comeback from injuries and childbirth. She's won a ton of stuff. She is arguably the best women's tennis player ever, certainly the best women's tennis player of her generation. And she's playing a 20-year-old phenom named Naomi Osaka. Osaka wins, wins the first, and women's tennis, it's the best of three sets. So Osaka wins the first set. What happens is, in the second set, um, Williams is ahead, I think it's like three games to one, when the chair umpire issues a, a warning, apparently under the rules. They, they all have, the players have coaches in the stands, 
And the rule is you can't coach from the, the stands. And he notices, the chair umpire, notices her coach kind of giving hand signals like, like move up, move, move closer. By the way, afterwards, the, the coach admits, yeah, that he was coaching. Apparently, though, what they say is this happens all the time. And a lot of times, most times, it just gets ignored. But in this case, the chair umpire gives a warning, says, okay, no coaching. All right, fine. Williams just blows up. And um, later on in that set, she gets upset when she mishits a ball, and she takes a racket, and she breaks it. So she gets penalized a point for racket abuse. And then she starts screaming at the chair umpire. And she kind of just gets, you know, angry, upset, and she's yelling at him constantly. You are a thief. You stole a point from me. You're a thief. Are you going to apologize for me? to me? I don't cheat. I've got a child. How dare you say these different types of, of things? And she goes on and on and on and on and on, calling the umpire a thief and all those sort of things. It's then, finally, after this goes on for a while, he then penalizes her. He takes a game away from her. And then she goes completely and totally ballistic. The crowd starts booing. She goes on to lose the set. The crowd is booing. Meanwhile, the gal that won, this 20-year-old girl, she's reduced to tears because the crowd's not rooting for her, etc., etc. The way this plays out, if you read a lot of the commentary, is there are a number of people who see this incident as an example of either sexism or racism. The argument being men can get away with a lot more. Men can scream at the officials more and not be penalized for this and that it was this huge injustice that Serena Williams ended up having this game taken away from her. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry, but I don't see it that way. I, I mean, I guess th- my, my biggest perspective is I, I watch lots and lots of baseball games, all right? And some umpires have a shorter fuse than others. But after a while... If you're a manager or you're a ball player and you keep chirping at the umpires and yelling at them, sooner or later, they're going to toss you from the game. In this particular case, Serena Williams was not using obscenities, but she was very much in the face and she wouldn't let it go. You, you're a thief. You're a thief. You stole this game from me. I don't cheat. Blah, de, blah, blah, de, blah, blah, de, blah. And finally, the umpire had enough and the umpire penalized her a game. U.S. Tennis went on and also fined her $17,500. To me, th- this is not this injustice. Now, if you want to argue that maybe men tennis players can argue more and get away with it, well, I, I don't know. I don't remember too many examples of men tennis players getting personal with the umpire, which is what this was. You're a thief. You stole this game from me. I demand that you apologize to me. It wasn't just, hey, you're blind, you missed this call. It was real personal. You're a thief. You're a thief. You're a thief. And I guess I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, you know, you're a great player, but you have completely and totally lost control here. You've lost your cool. And, And, yes, I mean, I think you deserve to get penalized. Now, you can argue you know, should the chair umpire have given her a warning? Should he have said to her, Ms. Williams, if I get one more, that's enough. You've had your say. If you say one more thing about that point, 
then I'm going to take a game. Well, okay, you you can argue, you know, could he have handled it that way? But this wasn't just an idle comment, and it wasn't one comment. She was hostile, she was chirping, and she was refusing to let it go. And at the end of the day, I mean, she ended up getting disciplined. Now, some people will say, well, you remember what John McEnroe used to do? Yeah, and McEnroe used to have games taken from him as well. But this idea then that because... I don't know, it's Serena Williams that it's sexist, or some people are even saying it's racist. You wouldn't have treated anybody other than a black woman this way. Give me a break. She was, in my opinion, she was out of control. And at some point in time, if you're doing that, there's going to be a consequence. Maybe he shouldn't have given her a warning. Okay, I don't know enough about tennis to know about. They say that everybody coaches, but her coach admitted, yeah, that's what I was doing. I, I was, in fact, coaching. So it wasn't like, you know, this wasn't happening. Yes, the coach was violating the rules. Maybe they need to change the rule. It seems to me it's probably a silly rule in the first place. But I, I think I think this is a situation where, you know, she needs to she needs to recognize that she's got nobody but herself to blame in this situation. And I thought it was unfortunate because, like I say, this woman is probably the greatest tennis player of her generation, maybe the greatest tennis player of all time, and and she just completely and totally lost it. Clarence in Milwaukee. Clarence, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What did you think? Uh, I've watched the match as I have uh, watched a lot of professional tennis for about the last 40-plus years. Love the sport. I play the sport. But whenever I've seen players, male or female, black or white, conduct themselves the way that she did, they get what she got. Mm-hmm. So I felt uh, they handled that appropriately. You know, she had been warned, and, man, she just, just would not. So I thought they handled it 100% appropriately. Yeah, now, thanks for calling. I mean, I, I did, too. I mean, at, at some point in time, you, you've got to be able to play through it and, and to move on. And I guess I... I, I was disappointed by the crowd reaction because it, it did take away from the, the young woman who ended up winning, who played a, a great match. And it, at some point in time, you've, you've got to let this stuff go. And Serena Williams, I mean, she took it personally. She's call, He's calling me a cheater. It wasn't he calling that. He was cautioning somebody about coaching. And the coach acknowledged that he was, in fact, coaching. Now, I don't know that that makes you a cheater, but he acknowledged that he was doing what the referee said that he was, was in fact, doing. So the referee ends up being right about this. She's busting her racket, and she's screaming, you're a thief, you know, apologize to me. You have I want to hear those words coming out of your mouth. At some point in time, you know, you behave like a spoiled, petulant child, and, you know, there's going to be a consequence. It's 110, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us on a Packers win Monday. Brewers tonight. Just a great time to be a Wisconsin sports fan. There's just no question about it. Brewers in the thick of a pennant race. And again, I, I, I agree with what the, what are we, we're talking to Tom Hardcourt from the Journal Sentinel in our news department. And I, I agree. I mean, I think a week ago after the Cubs managed to salvage one game at Miller Park, Leave Miller Park behind by four games. Everybody's figuring, well, okay, the Brewers aren't going to catch them. Well, that's baseball's a funny game. Brewers go on a winning streak. The Cubs lose a couple, and now it's two games. And if the Brewers should, uh, and I'm not predicting this is going to happen, but if they should somehow go to Wrigley Field and sweep the Cubs, they, they end up ahead. Now, I will tell you this. As somebody who reads a lot of stuff in the Chicago papers, the at least the people around the Cubs 
are taking the Brewers very, very seriously. Um, the Brewers are the team right now in the National League that nobody wants to face in that wild card game because they're, they're scrappy, they're high achievers, they're winning, they're having fun. It's just a great time to be a Brewers fan, no question about it. All right, let us switch gears completely. You have probably heard a lot, if you follow national politics, about the 25th Amendment. Uh, There's a lot of talk about this now. The 25th Amendment, I'm going to explain it in detail in just a second, but the 25th Amendment is the article of the Constitution that allows a president to be removed if he is incapacitated. And just a couple days ago, in wake of the new Bob Woodward book that drops tomorrow, in wake of the the wake of the anonymous op-ed piece that appeared in the New York Times, you have a number of politically motivated people, including like the, the crazy lefty Elizabeth Warren, who's the senator from Massachusetts. She she's talking twenty fifth amendment. Here's what she says: If senior administration officials think the president of the United States is not able to do the job, then they should invoke the 25th Amendment. The Constitution provides for a procedure whenever the vice president and senior officials think the president can't do his job. It does not provide that senior officials go around the president, take documents off his desk, write anonymous op-eds. Every one of these officials has sworn to uphold the Constitution of the United States. It's time for them to do their job. In other words, to start the ball rolling to remove the president of the United States under the 25th Amendment. So what exactly is the 25th Amendment? The The history of the 25th Amendment was it was passed in 1965, and it, it really came about after the assassination of President Kennedy in 1963, and Lyndon Johnson was the vice president. Lyndon Johnson immediately became president, but it took a while before there was a vice president. And so that the 25th Amendment was really drafted as a way to try to make clear what the process is going to be. You know, after, let's say, a president is assassinated, the vice president is taken over, what happens if something immediately happens to the person who was the vice president but now has become the president? And that's that's what it was really designed to. There are covered. There, there are four provisions of the twenty-fifth amendment. The first section explains what happens if the president dies, resigns, or is removed from office, and that's simple. Vice president becomes president immediately. Right. That's it. The second section says that when there is a vacancy in the office of the vice president, the president shall nominate a replacement who will take office once he or she is confirmed by the majorities in both houses of Congress, right? So that's it. You know, if the vice president is created by vacancy, the president nominates the replacement, and both um, houses in Congress vote on it, majority rules. The third section of the 25th Amendment, and this has been used on occasion, allows the president to temporarily designate, delegate his responsibilities to the vice president, who then operates as acting president until the president informs congressional leaders that he is able to resume his duties. Well, okay, that when, when has that been used? Well, I mean, it was used a couple times. Ronald Reagan in 1985 underwent brief cancer surgery, 
um, he he designated his. I mean, temporarily, while he was like under the anesthesia for the procedure, he don't he delegated his presidential powers to his vice president, President George Bush. Um, invoked the 25th Amendment in 2002 when he underwent a brief medical procedure and transferred his duties to Vice President Dick Cheney for a few hours. He did the same thing again in, 20, in 2007. So it, it's a temporary sort of thing. You're going to be under anesthesia or whatever, and during that period of time, the three hours that you're out, that the country still has a leader. Now, it is the fourth section of the 25th Amendment, though, that's getting all the attention. The fourth section provides a multi-step process for the vice president and a majority of the officials who lead executive agencies, primarily the cabinet, to declare that the president is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. So this is the scenario where something's happened to the the president. He's gone off his rocker. And, you know, we need to step in. Sort of effectively a constitutionally authorized coup. What what happens as a practical matter is that the vice president and a majority of the cabinet would have to provide a written declaration to uh, the president pro tem of the Senate and the speaker of his house, of the house. Ultimately, what ends up happening is... The by a two-thirds majority, both the Senate and the House would have to agree that the president is unfit. It's a much more complicated and much more difficult procedure than impeachment because this requires two-thirds majority of both uh, the House and the Senate. But you do have some prominent Democrats who are saying, well, look what's going on here. You have people saying that you've got people inside the administration that are concerned about the president's demeanor, they're concerned that he's reckless. They're taking documents off his desk. If they are true patriots, now is the time to invoke the 25th Amendment. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, let us tee this up. What, what do you think about this? There, there's no question that President Trump has a management style that borders on chaos. Um, that works for some people. It, it doesn't work for others. People are desperate, at least some people are desperate to try to remove President Trump. All right, if there are people who are dissatisfied with his job performance, should we be looking at the 25th Amendment? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess the underlying question would be, you know, do you believe that, that President Trump is unfit, unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. All right, there is this movement out there, hashtag TFA, which is hashtag 25th Amendment. Should we even be discussing this? Stick around. It's 118 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 122 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, you're hearing a lot of talk about the 25th Amendment. I explained in detail that's what gives Congress... The authority to remove a president, not for impeachment purposes, but because he is unfit for office and unable to do his duty. Um, it is started by the vice president and the cabinet. Is this something that we should even be discussing? Chris in New London. Chris, you're first. Good afternoon. Well, the problem Hi. is, the fact, hello, thanks Hi. for taking my call. Sure. Um, the biggest problem we have is the fact that 
it's a two-third majority for both Senate and the representatives, there's going to be nobody in that cabinet with all the turmoil and everything that wants to risk their job or his wrath by even suggesting this. Right, yeah, it's actually impeachment is a lot easier because impeachment you simply need a majority vote in the House and then a two-thirds vote in the Senate. But, but that aside, regardless of, of how you feel about the president's management style, I mean, have you seen anything that suggests that the president is unable to perform the obligations of, of the job? Personally? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Um, if anything, um, he's a little bit too power-hungry for me <laughs> as far as that's concerned. So as far as fulfilling the executive role, yeah, he's doing a great job. We better get the executive branch and the judicial branch to do their jobs and keep them under control. Yeah, no, thanks, right, thanks for calling. See, I guess that's the... Look, I, I understand that there there is this cabal of people out there who, who loathe President Trump, right? But bottom line is, uh, elections have consequences. Is President Trump thin-skinned? Yes, he is thin-skinned. Does he have this habit of punching down? Yes. Does he obsess over stuff that I, I think a lot of us would consider to be trivial? Does he have a management style that I describe charitably as being kind of like a Wreck-It Ralph approach? Yes, of all those things. But but that doesn't mean that he is unable to discharge the powers and duties of his office. That doesn't mean that he is mentally un- unstable. Lots and lots of presidents are incredibly egotistical. If you, if you go back in history, there's no question. Lyndon Johnson, for example, at the end of his term, absolutely, totally obsessed and consumed with the war in Vietnam and the fact that he couldn't get a handle on that. Okay, well... Well, just because he was consumed with the war in Vietnam doesn't mean he was unable or unfit to perform his job duties. Same thing true with Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon, a complete and total, I mean, my my guess is you could put Richard Nixon on a couch and you could spend hours and hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and still not figure out everything that was going on in that psyche. And clearly at the end, Richard Nixon was obsessed with the whole idea of impeachment and the Watergate investigation and all that. But that doesn't mean that mentally he was unable to discharge the powers and the duties of his office. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing, Jeff? Thanks for having me on. Sure. What do you think? I think this is happening because uh, Robert Mueller has come up empty-handed. Mm-hmm. That's really about all it is. If this guy would have had something on Trump, we wouldn't be talking about this. But he has nothing... You've said yourself, many have said it's time to just shut this thing down, but if they shut it down, what do they go to next other than the election? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I think so. This is just the latest. We we have to, in your view, you have to kind of come up with something that's going to feed the resistance. And this is the latest news story to kind of feed the resistance. Yeah. No, thanks. And I think that's and I think that's clearly, I think, one of the things that are going on. What you find, and one of the things that I found, and look, and I, I have been critical of, of the president, and I'm certainly critical of his management style, but, you know, what you see is you have, I, I think it's almost, okay, what are going to be the talking points this week? All right, well, last week you have this kind of BS op-ed piece that appears in the New York Times, and it's written conveniently 
At the same time, you've got the Bob Woodward book that's going to you know drop t- tomorrow. And so now, and I think Sam might be on to something, it's pretty apparent that we're going nowhere, at least Democrats are going nowhere with, with this impeachment idea, at least at this time. So now we, we have to come up with what's going to be the news story du jour to try to undermine President Trump. Okay, well, what's going to be talking about the 25th Amendment? And our first caller was absolutely 100% right. This is... This is not something, and as appropriately so, it's it's not something which should be evoked and invoked easily. And as a practical matter, it's not because you need the two thirds vote of the of both houses of Congress. Because what this effectively is is it's a coup. I mean that that's really what it is. It's a constitutionally authorized coup to remove somebody who has been duly elected. And again, elections have consequences here. I think this issue is going nowhere, but I wanted to spend at least two segments explaining to you what the 25th Amendment was and and why we have it. Essentially, all right, makes sense. You know, we want to make clear what happens if the vice president becomes president. How do you replace the vice president? Yes, it makes sense that if the if the president is going to be incapacitated, the president's going to be under anesthesia or something, then the vice president takes over and, and does it for a few hours. And yes, if there was something serious that happened to the president of the United States, unable to perform his job, well, maybe it makes sense that you have this procedure. But um, we're not close to that point now. And as a matter of fact, if you look back in times in our history, there were other times where I think if you had to... T- for example, at the end of President Roosevelt's life, I think you, you read a lot and people would tell you that he was pretty much from health reasons. He really was incapacitated for all intents and purposes. Maybe if we had the 25th Amendment then, it would have been an appropriate time. But now, Donald Trump, absolutely not. 128, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's been 17 years since one of the most traumatic days in U.S. history, September 11th. 2001. How do different generations view that terrible event? Gene Miller takes a look. 621 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. And just a, a little bit of a heads up. We do this every year on, on September 11th. We uh, we turn back the, the time machine and we'll, we will be devoting at least one segment of the program, maybe more, to remembrances of where you were on that day. It's I, I think there are there are certain days in our lifetime if you were alive on september 11 2001 you remember where you were if you were alive in november of 1963 when president kennedy was killed you remember that pearl harbor i'm told that if obviously if you were alive back in december of 1941 you remember where you were at that point in time as well maybe there's a couple other dates as well but we will be doing special remembrances for september 11th as well gene miller is going to be talking about it too 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The hunt for Brew October is on, and now your Brewers head to Wrigley's Field. Christian Yelich and the Brewers square off against the Chicago Cubs. Game one of the three-game set. Our coverage starts at 6.30 this evening. Be sure to tune in. All right. When this story first broke, um, early part of last week, we we discussed it, and now there has been a new development, and I want to revisit this. This involves the temporary detention of an 18-year-old black man by the Wauwatosa police a week ago Sunday. You, you may remember this story, and then I'll tell you the new detail and we're going to discuss. The 18-year-old man was detained briefly Sunday, September 2nd. This kind of happened 
out by the Mayfair collection, if you can sort of picture that on the west side. Apparently what happens is a couple who happened, by the way, to be black, flag down a pair of Wauwatosa police officers and tell them that a young black man was robbing two older white women. And they point out the car. They said the robbery was either occurring or had just occurred. The suspect was in the back seat of a blue Lexus. And the, the man, again, who happens to be African-American, pointed the car out to the officers. So at that point in time, the officers, they, they, they go out to investigate. They pull up behind the blue Lexus. They get over the loudspeaker, and they order the person in the back seat to exit the vehicle. Come out of the car with your hands up. In this case, the young man comes out of the car with his hands up. The two officers get out of their car. They've got the gun. Their guns are drawn, but they're not pointing them at anybody. But their guns are drawn. They go up. They put the kid in hand, kid, young man. They put him in handcuffs quickly. They get to get down on your knees. They put him in handcuffs. They move him into their squad car. All right. At which point in time, they then go up to the people who are driving the car. And they, they start to engage in a conversation with them. And they, they say, okay, we've just had a report. Are you all right? We've had a report that this was an armed robbery, et cetera, carjacking, whatever. And there, there's two older women who are in the front seat of the car. And they're both white. One of them says, no, there, there's nothing. There's no problem here. That's my, that's my grandson. So there's noth- nothing to see here. So the encounter takes about six minutes. So they they start asking questions. They then immediately determine that the information that they had been given is wrong, right? So they release the young man. They apologize to the ladies for the the misunderstanding. And like one of the ladies says, well, I, I can just kind of imagine, you know, you see two, you know, older white women and this young black guy in the back of the car to which the officer says, well, so you know, the person that reported this was African American himself. So that's that. That's why we did all all this. They apologize. They send them on the way. This whole thing took like six minutes, right? Nobody is beaten. Nobody is thrown in jail for hours and hours. Everybody goes on on their way. All right, that's the story. These these folks apparently tell the, the story though publicly, and now the dazzling detail from late last week is that, well, this is the way the Journal Sentinel described it, a young black man on his way home from church with his white grandmother was handcuffed by the by the Wauwatosa police because two passerbys thought he was robbing her. Now an attorney representing him, this being the kid, says she suspects he was harassed. The attorney has requested all documents from the Wauwatosa Police Department about this stop and the basis for the stop. The attorney also stated she sent a document preservation demand telling police not to destroy anything and to include any notes, text messages, and dispatch reports. After we take a look at whatever basis they have for stopping and harassing this family, we will be able to comment further, says the attorney. Once we take a look at those documents, we will have a further comment. But, of course, the attorney, she does comment on this by saying, once we see what basis they have for stopping and harassing the family, we'll be able to comment further. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Harassing the family? 
I, I mean, seriously, where where does this come from? Now, look, I, I understand people have a right to hire lawyers and lawyers have a right to try to figure out ways that they can make money and file lawsuits and things like that. And I don't know if it's going to come to that. But harassing the family, at least at this point in time, the uncontroverted evidence is couple cops are flagged down. Some passerby, and the passerbys, unfortunately, passersby did not stick around. They don't know who they were. Cops are flagged down, told, hey, there's a robbery which is going on. We saw this happen. There's a guy in the back seat of that car. All right. The police then re- react uh, accordingly. Does it sound like the police did anything wrong here? Is this a question? Where, where in God's name is the harassment under these circumstances? If they are, in fact, and that appears to be the case, they're told that there's an ongoing robbery. They pull the car over. They tell the suspect, get out of the car. They then get him out of the car. They handcuff him. They separate him. They immediately conduct their investigation. And within a couple minutes, they determine that there was nothing to this. The passerby was either pursuing an agenda or was mistaken or whatever. But did the police do anything wrong? 414-799-1620. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Um all right. Police brutality, racial harassment, or just two police officers doing what you would expect them to do based on the information that was available to them. And by the way, after this was all over and it was conducted it was completed in a quick for a couple minutes, you know, they apologized for the misunderstanding. Said that this is what this is, this is why we did it. Harassment of the family? Seriously? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Mark in Kenosha. Mark, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi, Mark. You know, I do feel that we do have an issue in this country with police brutality and uh, the officers and all that. But this is perfect performance by the Wauwatosa Police Department. You could not ask law enforcement officers to do a better job. The only person at fault is the ignorant person who called in in the first place and was mistaken clearly about the scenario. If we had all interactions between law enforcement officers end up like this, we would be in a much better state than we are now. Yeah. And uh, I applaud Wauwatosa Police Department for handling it as, as smoothly and as well as they did. This yeah. is just hogwash. Yeah, Mark, thanks. I mean, right, to me, look, th- this is a textbook way that they are supposed to proceed and do this. You get this report. There's a robbery, there's a theft, there is an ongoing crime of violence. You immediately conduct an investigation. It's not like they had a shootout with the the person in the car. They pull the car over, get out of the car, the person gets out of the car. Yes, they had their guns drawn. But, of course, what do you expect them to do if they think they might be dealing with a hostage situation or somebody who's going to come out shooting? Of course you have your guns drawn. They didn't put a gun to anybody's head. They got the situation under control. They conducted an investigation, and then they sent everybody on their way within a matter of minutes. What would they to have done? If they had instead gotten this report, say, and the person had said, gee, I I think there's an armed robbery or there's a hostage situation or whatever, and they had said, well, okay, we're just going to let them drive off, and then next thing you know, those two ladies turn up dead in some alley somewhere, well, all right, can you imagine what the reaction would have been then? And, and yet there's some attorney out there implying that the family was harassed. How were they harassed by the investigation of these law enforcement agencies? Here's a text. Jeff, the Tosa police would have been crucified had they not acted on the report. Everybody nowadays is looking to be offended and to go viral and to try to hit the jackpot. 414 799 
Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? Well, three points. Number one, no, there's no harassment. I mean, it's not even close to harassment. Number two is, you know, you're supposed to preach, you know, if you see something, say something. Right. All right. Somebody said something. All right. Whatever. And the, 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 the police officers are in no-win position. I mean, it's kind of like, well, what do you want us to do? We can't just not act on it. You know, I mean, that type of thing. It's, it's really gotten to the point where, you know, where's the lawyer's responsibility in all this? Well, that's why, it. Yeah, I mean, that's... why do they take that? I mean, why do they take? Some, I mean, I don't know. You know, you're obviously a lawyer, and you know, and whatnot. I don't. I don't know what the def, the classic definition of a frivolous lawsuit, or you know, even. Well, and there's not a law. I mean, in fairness, there's not a lawsuit thus far. But at yeah. the same time, yeah. I mean, she is out in the news saying, "Well, I want to find out why they harassed uh, this family." I'm not seeing the harassment of this family. I mean, I'm I'm seeing police officers who were told that there was an ongoing crime. They investigated that, and then within a matter of minutes, determined there was nothing to it, and they sent everybody on their way. But I mean, why can't a, why can't a lawyer? You know, they approach, They obviously had approached the lawyer. Yep. Well, well, who knows these days? Lawyers yeah. approached them. You know, no, 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 no. I'm sure they. I'm sure they were, were looking. So no. why why didn't the lawyer just say, you know what, you really have no basis for your for your you know. Well, because I mean, well, I'll tell you. I mean, the the attorney. Thanks for calling. I mean, the attorney is out there saying, "Well, I want to look at the reports, and then we'll we'll have some other comment." But of course, she doesn't limit herself to that. She says, "I want to find out why this family why was harassed by the police." Well, okay, you, for for real. I mean, seriously, give give me a break about this. You know, it, the, the whole idea that I mean, okay, it, it's automatically it's it's going to be you know harassment. But you know, the point you also make, Dave, is a good one. Matter of fact, one of my texters makes the same thing. What about the people who may now not report something because they're afraid they're going to be ridiculed for reporting it? I mean, the whole key to the the see something, say something. And how often do we have these discussions? Boy, you know, you you have the person that ends up going on the crime spree or the shooting spree or whatever. And then all the people come out and say, well, yes, that was really an he was displaying all this odd behavior. But did you call anybody? No, we didn't call anybody. We didn't want to get involved or, or whatever. Or we thought we'd be scoffed at. So, I mean, if, if the key to see something, say something is to do it. Now, in this particular case, the people were um, apparently in error when they reported that. But, but okay, the police, once you get this information, I think they have an obligation to act on it. No, and they, they have also have an obligation not to overreact to it. I mean, maybe you can say, well, why did they get him out of the car and why did they handcuff him? Well, they handcuffed him. Because they wanted to have the situation under control while they conducted their investigation. And it's not, one of the things that I was really looking at here was, is this something that went on for 30 minutes or an hour? Did you have all these police officers? No. They, they, they got the information. They acted on it quickly. They were able to determine what the real facts of the matter were. And within five to 10 minutes, you know, they sent them on away. Now, was there, was it probably traumatic? Well, okay. I suspect that would be a traumatic situation. If I was in the backseat of a car, police officers ordered me out and ordered me with my hands up and then handcuffed me, yes, I, I think there would be some degree of trauma to that. But that doesn't mean that the officers did anything wrong. It just means that under the circumstances, they were doing their job. Stan in Jackson. Stan, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Uh, Hi. Thanks for taking my Sure. Uh, okay. I was a special deputy up here, uh, oh gosh, you know, almost 30 years ago. And uh, part of our training was uh, you deal with information and belief. 
and that would would have warranted, you know, they were given information that this party was yeah. possibly committing a robbery, or and you know, well, you know, do you believe the information you're given? Hey, well, you got to act on that. And uh, I feel they were within their rights doing what what they did, and it sounded like, you know, it sounds like they did what, you know, right. what, what you do. Well, and exactly. Thanks for calling. And here's look. Everybody behaved, in my belief, appropriately. Let's give, and we don't know who the passerby are because they didn't stick around. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They reported something they saw. They, they thought there was a robbery. They were wrong, but at least they said something. The police did what they were supposed to do. They investigated it immediately. I want to give the kid credit too. This is one. How often do you see these things escalate and get out of control? Because instead of doing what the police officers say, somebody turns around and runs or reaches for something in their pocket or whatever. In this case, the 18-year-old man in the backseat of the car, he he did what he was supposed to do. He followed the orders, and then the police immediately... You know, conducted their investigation. Okay, they got him. They got his situation under control. They separated him. They asked questions of the people. They found out that okay, this is not a robbery. Boom! They thank everybody for their time. They apologize for the misunderstanding, and they send people on their way. And now you have an attorney sniffing around to try to determine why the family was harassed. This family was not harassed. The police were simply doing their job. One fifty-one. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 154, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, the numbers are in, and they are not pretty. On Friday's program, I told you about the competition yesterday for eyeballs on TV, Packers, Bears, and the Miss America contest. A competition. It's not a pageant anymore. And uh, the results are in. Now, this is the first Miss America competition where there's no swimsuit competition or anything like that. Pageants, as we went talked about on Friday, pageants have been losing lots and lots of, of viewers. There was a point in time where I think at, at the highlight they had like 60 million viewers who would watch this. It was one of the two or three highest rated TV programs, programs on TV. And, and you would have, what, 70,000 women who would try out for this at various local pageants. Last year that was down to 4,000. So anyways, you have the Miss America competition last night and uh if it's possible the ratings were even worse than before now admittedly they're, they're up against the packers bears game the, the first sunday night football game of the year um which actually did the highest primetime rating since since uh, march i i believe but here are the numbers okay so last year and again this is last year was way way down from previous years Last year, they did a um, a rating was 1.1 in their key demo, which is adults 18 to 49, and 4.3 million. Okay, so last year, they did 1.1 in their key demo, and they had 5.4 million viewers. Last night, the rating in the key demo dropped 36%. They did a 0.7 rating in adults 18 to 49. That's That's like... Like cable news. That's like bad cable news. And they were down to 4.3 million viewers. They went from 5.4 million viewers to 4.3 million viewers. Now, 4.3 million people is a lot, but when you consider that, you know, what it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 
you, you understand what the problems are. I said this on Friday. I stand by it. Um, for better or worse, it, it's my prediction that within the next five years, there will be no more Miss America, you know, competition, pageant, whatever you want to call it. I, I think it's, it's kind of become an anachronism and it, one of the things, I did not watch it last night, but I was reading some descriptions of it. Essentially, they kind of turned it apparently into sort of a red carpet show, you know, where you have, like, for example, at a premiere of a movie, you have all the beautiful people walking the red carpet, and you'd stop and you'd ask them questions. Well, tell me, you know, tell me, Gru, why this is going to be a great movie, etc. Apparently, it was something, you know, kind of like that. And having these comp- competitors, you know, walk the red carpet and then, you know, give their opinions on different stuff. It, it it might make people feel good, but it did not draw eyeballs. So for people wondering whether or not getting rid of the swimsuit competition was going to benefit Miss America as far as enhancing its appeal, the, the answer is pretty clear, no. Down 36% in the key demo, down 19% in total viewers, and that is from an all-time low the year before. This, it, it's just a competition. It's an event which it seems to me is in a death spiral, and I don't see any changing it. And like I say, my guess is within five years from now, it's just not going to happen. All right. When we come back in just a couple minutes, Olivia Munn, remember her? Aaron Rodgers' ex-girlfriend, star of, and I say star in quotation marks, but an actress who has appeared in various movies. She is in the news about a new movie that she made claiming her castmates have let her down, her director has let her down, and she has been set up and is absolutely outraged about something that happened. I will tell you that story, and then we will discuss. Stick around. It's 158. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 208. This is Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, do you think generally men are lousy, sick people? Do you think men make lousier patients slash sick people mm. than women do? Are women tougher? That's a tough one. I'm not sure. I think men are pretty tough, but then again, I'm not married, so maybe some men be babied a little bit. Uh, it, no, the reason I, I, I ask, and I, it, it just, it is, I, I'm trying to think if it's a gender thing or just a different stuff. So, it, it, I, I'm fighting this cold. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I get a I get like the September colds pretty much every year, and I started coming down with it on Thursday. And I, it's it's not debilitating enough to keep you off of work or anything, right? But, but I admit that, like this weekend, I just you feel cruddy. I and I, I stayed home. I mean, it was kind of like I didn't do anything Friday night, didn't do anything Saturday night, didn't do anything yesterday. It was just kind of like, okay, I just I just want to kind of lay here. Now I wasn't. I'm not whining, but it's just kind of like <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm, That's I'm really, good. I'm not whining. Right? Okay. So, but but here's the deal. My wife. She's she's got the same cold except she's about two days ahead of me mm-hmm. on on this. But she's like the Energizer Bunny. Right. She's like I I I can't stay home. So she worked Friday night. She worked Saturday night. She was out shopping, you know, with her daughter and granddaughter yesterday. She's been running around today. She's got all these projects going on. She's saying, "Well, we're going to go to dinner with some friends and all." And I'm I'm like, "Don't you oh, feel bad?" Right? Wh- right? I'm, I'm like, "Yeah, what, what's cold? this going on there?" And it's just, but I, I'm wondering if this is kind of like a men or from Mars. Maybe it has to do with childbirth or something. You guys are just tougher than us. Maybe who knows. I, I would say I, I like to be taken care of when I'm sick. Yeah, see, and I, I do. I like that feeling of being cared for, but 
Yeah, see, and I, I don't me. even know. I just kind of like to suffer in silence. And that, that, that really, it's not like, oh, honey, can you bring right. me this? No, I'm not like that. It's more like this. Yeah. I'm just going to lay on the couch here. and. Well, your wife would be proud. You're at work today. I, You're not complaining. I had You're no choice. Good. No, no, there, there's no choice. I could, yeah. I know there, there is, there is no choice. My butt was out the door. Yeah. So, okay. Well, she's like the Energizer Bunny. I'm just very, very impressed. But I'm, I'm here as well. That's so good. We'll see where that goes. Now, all right, Gru. I'm feeling a little bit bad. You made me play that song, The Bears Still Suck. You know, I, I said, no, 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 we shouldn't play this song. You know, we shouldn't rub it in. All right, I, I was going back, and I'm looking. What we do, if you listen at the 12 o'clock hour, the start of the show every day, we, we Facebook live. We live stream the first couple segments of, of the show. And today, the topic we led off the show with was are, are you worried about the Packers? You know, the great game notwithstanding, are you worried about the Packers? And by the way, that's up on Facebook Live, so you can go back and you can watch it. I'm always amazed at how many people go back after the fact and, and watch it. Also, I am amazed by how many people check out our podcast. You can go to WTMJ.com, click on the mobile apps thing, and then subscribe to the podcast. And I know that there are a lot of you, and believe me, I appreciate this quite a bit, who, who then then you get notified every day when the podcast drops. So if you can't listen to all three hours of the program, you know, you, at least because you're doing things between noon to three, you can listen to it at your leisure. And I know a lot of people do it. But in any event, after we were talking about the Packers and there, uh, I was I was going back and I was checking the the Facebook Live things, and we of course played the Happy Schnapps combo, doing the Bears still suck. All right, here's one of the post things we had. This is from Phil. As a Bears fan, this was another disappointing, tough, and excruciating loss to sit through. Um, and considering the Bears dropped another 20-point lead and made no adjustments in the second half was enough, but I cannot for the life of me discount how Aaron Rodgers led this Packers team to victory. After everyone forecasted doom and gloom, Rodgers came back and engineered a comeback that the entire stadium got behind. That's why he's the best player in football. It's why he deserves the highest salary in the league. It was one hell of a game, and I cannot for the life of me Boo that man. It was remarkable to watch. So kudos, kudos to you, Phil. That's a very, very classy response. And it made it made me for just a moment pause that I allowed my producer to talk me into playing The Bears Still Suck. But I, I can't help myself. I, he, Phil is obviously a better, bigger person than I am. But, uh, yeah, it was just an, just an amazing game, absolutely amazing game. If you want to go back and check out our discussion, you can go to Facebook dot com slash six twenty WTMJ and it is posted there. All right. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, Olivia Munn. Everybody remember who Olivia Munn was? She is now he's apparently dating the race car driver Danica Patrick. She was up in his box last night. But before that he was uh dating the actress Olivia Munn. And you'll you'll you know you can she she's been in a number of different movies o- over the years and she's not I don't mean to demean this because I haven't been in any movies. I mean, she's, I don't consider her, I don't think anybody does consider her to be an A-list Hollywood star, but, you know, she's, she's made a career out of acting and she is at the risk of being labeled sexist. She's ex- an extremely attractive woman. There, there's no question about it. So she's in one of many people who's in this new movie that's coming out called Predator. Now this is a, I, it's a remake. I mean, the, the original Predator movie was the the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with Jesse Ventura, you know, about the the guys that get dropped in the jungle and end up having to fight the the alien. That that was the original Predator. Then there's been a number of of versions: Predator Two, Predator versus 
Android Predator, predator versus um, Alien, you know th- those type of things. So this is this is kind of a reboot of the Predator show. Um, I have not seen the movie, but I, I mean I've seen a number of the trailers and the ads for this. Olivia Munn is getting all sorts of attention because she is saying that the Predator cast shunned her, shunned her after she blew the whistle on a sex offender. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to tell you what this story is, and then we're going to discuss whether or not she has a right to be offended or whether or not you think this is an overreaction. Stick around. 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 219, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, so there's this new movie, Predator, coming out, which is kind of a reboot or a new installment in the Predator series. One of the people in it, one of the stars, is Olivia Munn, former girlfriend of Aaron Rodgers. Okay, so here's the deal. The director of this movie is a guy named Shane Black. He's done other movies, including Iron Man 3 and The Nice Guys. Did you see that, group? 2016, The Nice Guys? You didn't. I didn't either. But, okay, so so he's the director of this. He has a buddy, longtime friend of his, who he casts... The guy's name is William Striegel. All right, that's the guy's name. Stephen Wilder, I'm sorry, Stephen Striegel, old friend of the director's. And the director has cast him in bit parts in his various movies over the years. For example, the guy had a a brief part in Iron Man 3, non-speaking role, had a brief part in this 2016 movie, The Nice Guys. He's a friend of the director. So the director has kind of thrown him a bone. Guy's trying to get started as an actor, I guess, so he's thrown him a bone. He gave him a very brief part in this Predator movie. And apparently the guy was only in one scene and only had a couple lines. And I, 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 apparently what the, what the scene was, he plays a jogger who runs up and Olivia Munn plays a scientist. And he apparently tries to hit on her. That, that's the only description I've had in the scene. It's, it's one scene, you know, a minute or so of screen time featuring this guy. All right, so, Jeff, why are we talking about this? Well, all right, so they film the scene, no problem. Everybody goes on their way, movie gets made, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In August, somebody says to Olivia Munn that this guy who was in the movie, this guy who was in that one scene with you, do you know his background? And it turns out that in May of 2010, so eight years ago, May, he was convicted of essentially trying, well, he was convicted of two felonies, risk of injury to a minor and enticing a minor by computer. Um, apparently, this involved, he, he was in his 30s at the time. He had a distant relative who was 14 years old, and he apparently started talking dirty to her over the Internet and got child charged with child enticement. And by the way, I'm not minimizing this at all. It's, re- it's really kind of a creepy sort of thing. Ended up getting convicted, again, of this kind of you know Internet porn involving, uh, again, a-, a child who turned out to be a distant relative of his. He was sentenced in August 2010 to 10 years in prison. The prison sentence was suspended after he served six months in jail, and he had then three years of probation. 
So he completed the probation 2013 or early 2014. So he's been, as they say, off paper for about five years. He's trying to make it as an actor. The director, the Shane Black, is a is an old friend of his. And so the director casts him in this movie, gives him this small part. Olivia Munn, after all has been said and done, and it's not like the guy did anything to her on the set, but she finds out in August, after like the filming is completed and stuff, that this guy is a convicted sex offender. And she then starts going public with this, talking about how outraged that she is that this guy got a job. Um, she's outraged that the director hired him. She's outraged that she had to perform in a scene with this guy. She is outraged that at the Toronto Film Festival, when the director was introduced, the number of her fellow stars stood up and applauded the guy. She's just, in, in general, she's angry about this whole thing. The studio, for its part, says, well, we didn't, we're, matter of fact, our, our agreement is we're not allowed to run background checks on actors. The, the director cast him. You know, we didn't know anything about the background, but the studio has now agreed that they're going to take this guy's scene out of the film. So the Predator movie, when you see it, it doesn't have this one brief scene in it. But, you know, she's saying, oh, this was outrageous that you'd even put this guy in the movie. You know, for for his part, the guy's lawyer is saying, look, this is how he makes a living. He, he wants to become an actor. Um, this is how he makes a living. He was convicted a number of years ago. He's paid his debt to society. He's off paper. And there, there's there's no reason why he should be blackballed. There's no reason why he shouldn't have have the ability to earn a living and, you know, play in this particular movie or other movies. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. All right, does Olivia Munn have a legitimate beef? The guy convicted of something terrible in 2010, but he's off of probation. He did six months in jail. And since 2013, there, there hasn't been any sort of supervision. Was the director wrong to give his buddy a, a chance? Or is this the scarlet letter nowadays? I mean, the fact that, well, it was eight years ago. Should they not have hired him? Should he not be entitled to work? If he is going to work, should you have to disclose to everybody that, hey, this guy was convicted eight years ago in Connecticut? Or... Is this a situation where understanding the time, it was a while ago, um, he deserves a second chance? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. She is very, very dramatic. She says, I feel like I'm the one that's going to jail. I feel like I've been cut off from my castmates. I feel that nobody's supporting me because I'm complaining about this and people are still applauding the director. All right. Was the director wrong to give his buddy a, a chance? 414-799-1620. We discuss next. It's 225. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Jeff. Uh, since I do think that that would affect whether or not people would want to watch the movie, I think she did have a legitimate concern, but she did mishandle it because I think she should have just gone to her you know, supervisors and and taking it up with them. And then if she didn't like what they decided, she could just choose not to work with them again. Well, right. I mean, I guess, do you think this, let's talk about the bigger issue. The, the, the guy did something terrible eight years ago. 
He served his time. He's been off of probation for the last, for the better part of five years. Should he never be allowed to work again? Well, I don't know about that, but I, I just think that if the ick factor on this is pretty high. I think about people like Kevin Spacey, right. um, who ha- has done something along those lines. And I just, as a viewer, have a really hard time watching him again. And, and these people that make the movies, really, you know, need to think about that. Thanks for the call. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the truth is, right? I mean, you've got you, Louis C.K. the comedian. You know, he, he's back to, to doing stand up. I guess the question becomes: Is there a statute of limitations on bad behavior? And see, we're going to be wrestling with this as part of. And this isn't really even the Me Too movement. I mean, that that's not what this is. I guess I, I look at this, and first of all. Olivia Munn strikes me as being a, a bit of an attention seeker and a bit of a, a drama queen here. It's apparently the guy was there for like one day on the set. It was a brief scene. So it's not like there's this ongoing relationship where he's going to be on the, on the set day after day after day and, and maybe you notify the, um, you, you have to notify the cast and crew if you believe that the guy is a danger. Similarly, apparently nothing happened. I mean, it, it's not like he was stalking. It's, and here's the, and I, I throw this out to all the tolerant, compassionate liberals out there. What is going to be the standard? You know, we, we hear all this about how people need to be given second chances, and you can't ruin people's lives because of stuff. And, you know, we, we have to take people who are convicted of felonies, and we have to figure out ways to get them back into society and things like that. Well, all right. Then when you have a guy who says, look, he's a friend of mine, this is all under control, yeah, I was giving him a job because I'm trying to help him out, and then we're told, no, you can't do that, this is terrible, this is just an affront and all that, Where you, you can't, I'm just saying, you cannot have this both ways, and it's either we're going to take people who have been convicted of or accused of bad behavior, and then what we're going to do is we're going to put scarlet letters on them and say you're never going to make a living again. That that that's okay. But then, all right, don't talk about. Gee, we have all these people who have been convicted of crimes and they can't get back into society. And what are they supposed to do? I mean, you cannot have this both ways. If the director had put somebody like Olivia Munn in danger by hiring somebody, well, that's that's a different sort of story. But I don't get the sense that that's the case. It's just she didn't like working with a guy who has this conviction from eight years ago, and now she's used her clout with the studio to get the scene cut out of the movie. I don't care about the movie, and I don't care about whether the scene goes or not, but where do you draw the line moving forward? And that's what people have to wrestle with. Can Kevin Spacey make a comeback? Well, the problem with Kevin Spacey is people have already decided, I think, that his behavior was just so creepy over such a long period of time that they're... The marketplace is going to take over. People don't want to see Kevin Spacey in roles. So nobody's going to hire him because nobody's going to watch it. In the case of somebody who's lesser known, I don't know that that's the case. It's 2.37, Jeff Reichert, WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. The hunt for Brew October is on, and now your crew heads to Wrigley Field. Christian Yelich. What a great ball player. What a great ball player. And the Brewers square off against the Chicago Cubs. It's game one of a three-game set. Our coverage starts at 6.30 tonight. Now, I'm not predicting this. Matter of fact, tonight's going to be a tough game. Cubs have their best pitcher, John Lester, going. He's like 15-5. and five. But if the Brewers could somehow go to Wrigley Field and sweep all three games, I'm not predicting that, they would leave with a one-game lead. 
And, and even if they could somehow win two out of three, they'd only be a game behind the Cubs. It's and and the Cubs are in one of these streaks where. Just remember right before the All-Star break, the Brewers played like 23 games in 23 days, no no time off at all, and they kind of cratered at the end. They lost those five games in a row in Pittsburgh, for example. This The, the Cubs are in this kind of stretch now, and they got rained out yesterday, so their their first off day in like a month was supposed to be a Thursday. Well, now they've they played the three-game series against the Brewers. they got to fly back to Washington, D.C. on Thursday, Play that game that was rained out yesterday, and then come back to Chicago. So I mean, they're they're in the middle of one of these stretches of day after day after day, and it, it, you you wear down a little bit. So I'm not saying the Brewers are going to overhaul them, but wouldn't that be something if they were able to do it? All right, there, there's two stories out, which again underscore how screwed up Milwaukee County is, and underscore how just when it comes to money that is being paid to retirees and people that are about to retire. It, it just shows how how much of a mess Milwaukee County is in and how there's just no easy answer moving forward. Story in the Journal Sentinel, Dan Bice has it. Um, seven ex-Milwaukee County prosecutors are all getting over $1 million in cash payments when they walk away from their jobs. And and incredibly generous pensions. If And I know for a lot of people, you, you hear guys like me talk about the pension scandal, and you say, what was this pension scandal? Well, back in the day, back 2001, 2002, you had the then county executive of Milwaukee, the late Tom Amitt, and some of his cronies that surrounded him and some of their advisors, and, and they came up with this adjustment to the pension system, which was supposed to be revenue neutral. But nobody asked the right questions, and, and nobody got the information People argue, at least some people argue, that they didn't know what was going on and they were deceived. You will never convince me of that, but that's another story. But the effect of of what they did, it was not a revenue-neutral adjustment to the pension system. What they ended up doing was creating the system where long-term, high-paid employees could leave their jobs, could retire, not just with a generous pension, but also with these huge backdrop payments. For for example, and I know it's mind-boggling when you hear this. Journal Sentinel has a story today. Former Deputy District Attorney James Martin walked, so this is a guy who he started under McCann, you know, and now worked for Chisholm, walked away from his job last month. So he had worked for about, I think, 40 years or so. He'd been in, in the office, okay? So you would expect somebody who'd been, you know, a, a career prosecutor, would be entitled to a pretty decent pension. And and it's true. He's going to get a pension of $78,438 a year. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, is a young man. You know, you hear that. That sounds pretty good, you know, right? You wouldn't mind that. But also, he's a career prosecutor. He was in that office for 35 or 40 years. So it doesn't necessarily strike you as being something unreasonable, right? You say you guess so. You, you think it sounds a little high. Okay, but all right, seventy-eight grand. All right, I, I think I think the taxpayers are being very, very generous. But that's okay. I don't fault the seventy eight grand. But here's the catch. Under the changes that were made in the pension system, under the former county executive, in addition to seventy eight thousand dollars a year, James Martin walks away with a lump sum payment of almost one point five million dollars. A check for $1.5 million and 
$78,000 a year. <laughs> Gru says that's pretty good. It, it, it's, it's more than pretty good. It is it is outrageous. Now, when, let me just be real clear here. I don't fault Mr. Martin for taking the money. If I was in a situation and somebody were stupid enough to offer me this money, I would say yes. But this is not what government pensions were supposed to be about. $1.5 million in a cash payout plus $78,000 a year. And my understanding is he could have even had more cash if he was willing to take lower per year payments. This is not what public employee pensions were supposed to be about. Um, this makes, and again, according to the Journal Sentinel, Martin, the seventh staffer to leave the DA's office as a newly minted millionaire under the county's backdrop program. Only four county retirees outside the DA's office have scored $1 million plus backdrop payments. And, of course, you know the, the reason it's the DA's office is you have people that spent their careers there. They opted to not go into the state system. They stayed in the county system. They were relatively high-paid employees over the years. Um, it's, and then the story goes on. Gail Shelton, former senior assistant district attorney, she left her job um, earlier this year, $1.5.1 million payment. She's going to get $65,000 a, a year. And, again, I don't fault any of these people. Like I say, if if you're if the county was dumb enough to do something like this, are, are you going to turn down the money? Well, nobody's going to turn down their money, nobody in their right mind. But it shows what happens when you have a system like this that is this out of control where you have these people walking away with this big money. And that's why, if you look at why the pension system is in such bad shape and why they have to figure out, you know, where are we going to get the money to pay for these things, it's because of stuff like this. Which brings me to the other side of the story. Not everybody walks away or walked away with a million dollars in cash, all right, and enormous payments. Matter of fact, a lot of people... Um, small amounts of cash. They didn't qualify for the big backdrop things. So, you know, they, they get their regular pensions. Now, in addition to the whole backdrop thing, the other thing going on in Milwaukee County is for years, the people who were calculating what somebody was owed were, let me see, how can I be charitable about this? They were a bunch of fools. And, and, and you had hundreds of people whose pension payments were calculated incorrectly. So what they would do is they would give notice, hey, I'm getting ready to retire. And so they'd contact whoever they were supposed to contact, and the people would say, okay, this is your monthly pension. If you retire January 1st, this is how much money you'll get. So based on that, they retire January 1st, and the pension, then they start getting the checks. Well, as it turns out, a lot of those checks those calculations were wrong to the fact that there's now been a couple hundred people which have been overpaid about 1.85, let's round it up, call it $2 million. They, They've been overpaid $2 million in, in monthly payments. And it's not their mistake. The county made the mistake. The county calculated what their pensions were. The county told them how much they were going to get. They retired in reliance on that, and now it turns out that they that they pay too much. So what the county is trying to do now is try to collect the money that they overpay to the various retirees. So they, they've struck this deal 
where they said, I, I, I tell you what, if, if you guys, if you, that is you retirees who have been overpaid, if, if you agree to pay us back the money that you, we have overpaid you, what we'll do is, is we'll, we won't collect interest essentially on the overpayments. You know, we'll, we'll just give you a chance to, you know, pay off your overpayment. All right. Our number 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's the underlying question here. Given that it was the mistake of the county and given the fact that people retired in reliance on what they were supposed to receive, is it fair? Is it right? Should they be allowed to retire or require people to pay back the money that they were overpaid? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, let's personalize this. Let's say you are eligible for a pension. And you go to your employer and you say, look, I am thinking of retiring January 1st. How much am I going to get a month? And your employer says, okay, based on your years of service and this, your pension will be $1,200. You say, great, I'm going to retire. You factor that in. You figure this is what I'm going to have this extra $1,200 a month to live on, et cetera, et cetera. You, in reliance on that, you retire, you collect your $1,200. And then two years later, the employer comes to you and says, um, hey, we, we made a mistake when you asked us how much money you were entitled to. It shouldn't have been 1200 It should have only been 1000 And so we've been overpaying you $200 a month. So you owe us. We've been doing this for two years. You owe us, let's see, 200 a month times 12. We overpaid you 2400 You owe us $4,800 plus interest. Should the pensioner have to pay that back? 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 251, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. There, there is this irony. It shows how screwed up Milwaukee County is that you've got retiring assistant district attorneys walking away $78,000 in annual pension and a check for $1.5 million. And then you have average county employees who have been overpaid monthly based on no wrongdoing on their part a couple hundred bucks, and the county is now trying to go after them for that money. Let's talk to Dave in West Bend. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello, Jeff. What do you think? Uh, a similar thing happened to me with the VA. Uh, I get 100% disability, and I notified them that I was divorced, and it took them nearly a year to make a correction on my disability payment, right. which, came, which came to about $1,000. And they uh, finally caught up with it, and they made me give that, like, $1,000 back. Now, let me ask you this, Dave. In that case, though, you had notified them. You knew, am I fair to say that you knew that you were getting more than you should because your circumstance had changed? Right. Yeah, okay. See, now, and see to, me, to me, that's what the difference is. If... If you know that you're not supposed to be getting the money, right, you, you, you've you notified Social Security that your situation has changed and it's taken them three or four months or six months or whatever to make that change. And so you've been getting overpayments. You know you're getting overpayments. And, it, and it's tough for me, while it's a pain in the butt, to have to go back and collect it. In those cases, you know you're not supposed to be getting the money. You you know it's a mistake. It, it's sort of like, gee, if the bank, all of a sudden, the bank has credited me with a $5,000 deposit, 
and I know that's not mine. All right, the bank is going to take that back, but but you know it's not yours. To me, what is different in this case is the fact that the people who did this, they there's there's no suggestion that they were that that they knew they were getting more than they should. I mean, what what happened here, at least the way I understand it, is that they say they're getting ready to retire. They contact the pension office. Okay, this is how many years I have. What am I entitled to? And apparently, the bozos who were making the decision at the time, they were like using the wrong mortality tables or something. But they tell them, they say, Jeff, you're getting ready. To, you're going to retire in January. You get two thousand dollars a month or whatever the number is. That's what they tell them. So then the person makes the decision to retire in reliance, in part, on what they have been told. So there's no, there's no. They have they've done nothing. They they've just simply said, "Tell us what we're going to get." They make the decision in reliance on what they were told, and it turns out that the error is internal. And then to go back and say, "All right, based on what we told you, you know, you retired, you relied. We've made a we made a mistake. So now you're going to have to eat it." I I, I know this doesn't sound, I guess, fair to the overall pension system. But I guess my comment would be good luck to Milwaukee County in trying to recover this. Because in some cases, in one case, it's apparently like a $140,000 overpayment that went on for, for years. I mean, good luck trying to recover that type of thing. This is one where uh, I, I just, if I'm a retiree, I'm saying to Milwaukee County, now it's one thing to say, all right, adjust my current pension payment to what it should be. Because that that's, if I'm only supposed to be getting 1800 all right. I understand adjust it to eighteen hundred. That's what it's supposed to be because that's what's right. But to try to go back and collect the money that you've already paid out and that people have accepted in good faith reliance, like I say, good luck with that. It's two fifty five. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's afternoon news. But it is kind of ironic that you have, you know, the, the county going after these small pensioners, you know, trying to get back, you know, monthly overpayments of a couple hundred dollars at the same time. You have this legal backdrop system where some people are walking out with a million dollars in cash and tens of thousands of dollars in regular pension. Man, talk about a screwed up system. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.